Lost Talk Radio. Absolutely. 
perfectly fine, and I and I'm I have no worries, no fears. And I, I just praise God for that. Uh, I want you to remember a man I went and visited yesterday. His name is Tommy Shelton. He's uh, in the final stages of COPD, and and uh, I, I spent about an hour with him yesterday, and just uh, pray for him. He needs your prayers. And he said, "Who else?" Yeah, Tammy and family. Yeah, Grayson's Grayson's got that stomach bug that they're passing around. And pray the whole family don't get it. Just pray for that. Anybody else? Yes. Remember, lift up Bubba in prayers. And who else? Oh, yeah, I'm gonna handle that. All right. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Remember, pray for pray for that family. All right. Anybody else? Anything else? All right. Well, we got one more thing we got to take care of real quick before we pray. Can you get that happy birthday for me? My mama. My mama. Eighty years old. Amen. To generian. As of as of just the other day. Now, just praise praise God for my mama and thank God for her. And uh, uh and uh, just ask the Lord to bless her with many more years. Let's let's sing to her. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Amen. All right. Oh, you have, you have one too? On the second? All right. Well, you, we'll just count you covered in that one song. All right. Happy birthday to you too, Jackie. Praise the Lord. All right. Anything else before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Stubbornly, just please. Amen. You can be seated. Oh, 
All right. First Corinthians, second Corinthians, rather, chapter five, verse seventeen. The Bible says, "Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new." What do you reckon that means? We've heard that verse of Scripture. We've read that verse of Scripture. We've probably quoted that verse of Scripture. But what does it truly mean? It means when you get saved, the old you is dead. Gone. It's not to exist anymore. The old you, with your sinful ways, the old you, with, with your desires, your plans, dreams, thoughts, and all those things, you are not the same person anymore. Christ has come in. The whole, by, the, by the person of his Holy Ghost, he's come in, he has regenerated your sinful heart, and he has brought to life your spirit within you. You then have the spirit of the living God living inside of you, giving you wisdom, guiding you, blessing you, helping you with your prayer life, and helping you with every single step in your Christian life, and you are not the same as you were before. A-L-L, all things or become new. I want to I want to read one verse of scripture before we pray. Galatians six fifteen. The Bible says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. It's simply saying it doesn't make any difference whether you used to be a Jew or you used to be a Gentile. Everybody's new in Christ Jesus. And I'm thankful that I am a new creature today and I'm not what I once was. Amen. I'm not what I will be but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. Amen? Let's bow our heads for prayer and let's get into this this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord God, for, Lord, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. Lord, we thank you for his willingness to serve you. We're thankful because, Lord, it was through his ministry that the gospel reached us. Father, we're thankful because we're, we're of the Gentiles, Father, and we're thankful this morning that you didn't leave us out on our own with no gospel message. You didn't leave us to just face hell with no hope for heaven. Lord, you sent us the gospel. And we praise you and we rejoice in the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning as I get ready to preach, Lord, I want to honor Jesus. Lord, as you honored him through the life of the Apostle Paul. Father, help me. I pray this morning for Holy Ghost power and unction. I pray this morning to you to lead me and guide me, direct me to bring the thoughts and the words to my to my mind and my lips. And Father, I pray this morning you work in somebody's heart, do a work, Lord, we can't even conceive of. Lord, you do your work and we'll give you praise and glory and honor for it. Forgive our sins, fill us with your spirit, and meet with us now. We pray and we praise you and we thank you ahead of time, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's look there. We're going to be, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in uh, in Acts, and that was in verse 19 is where we were. And uh, we're we're kind of just going to kind of roll with the narrative through this this morning. Uh, don't have an outline sermon. We're just going to kind of go verse by verse, and we're going to glean what's there to be gleaned. That's one thing about when you preach through a book of a Bible, you don't always run up on powerful verses that just jump out and shake you. Sometimes you kind of just kind of go with what what's there, and you kind of got to dig deep and glean from it. And uh, maybe you don't get the, the big bombastic sermon and the bombastic points, but sometimes it's the little things that we need. 
Sometimes it's the little things that we overlook. We're looking for the mountaintops, and we don't see things along the way that God has for us. I want us to do that this morning, if God will let us, and we, we're going to kind of glean along the way as we look at God preparing Paul for what he was to do for him. All right, begin there in verse 19. The Bible said, And when he had received me, he was strengthened. Then was Saul a certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Now, I want to just clear something up. I think I misspoke last week when I, when I told you that he took off to Arabia before verse 19. I actually think it's after verse 20. I, I, and I based that where I read over there where he said, I conferred not with flesh and blood. That doesn't mean he didn't see anybody. I think that just means he didn't seek an answer that he was looking for. He didn't. He wasn't asking them, well, how do you go about preaching this, this, this Christ? He didn't, I don't think he did that at all. But he was there with them a little bit. Let's continue reading there. So when he received me, he was strengthened. So he got something to eat. He felt better. He hadn't eaten. He hadn't drank anything in three days. So he was weak physically. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. Verse 20 said, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God. You see what happened? I mean, he got saved, and the next thing you know, he's down there at the synagogue. And he's preaching Jesus. Now, he's not preaching the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. If you notice here, he's simply preaching that he is the Son of God. He's simply preaching to these Jews that he is the Messiah. He is echoing the same message that Stephen preached when he preached it there in the, in, the, in the synagogue of the Libertines and was taken out and stoned to death. Paul is preaching the same message. See, when you get saved, when you get born again, when the Spirit of God floods your soul, there is a there is a definite, immediate desire to testify what has happened to you. I've heard people describe it as the honeymoon period of being saved. You know, when people first get married, I mean, listen, they just they, they can't stay away from each other. You know, they just they they, they want to be together all the time. They want to they want to. Talk about I'm going to be lovey-dovey in public and everything like that. You know, it wears down after a while. You kind of, you know, it, it wears out a little bit. It shouldn't wear down all the way, but it wears down a little bit as time moves on. But, but in the beginning, man, everything just, that love just red hot. And that ought to be that way when a person comes to Christ as their Savior. Amen? He has done for you more than anybody will ever do for you in your entire life. He has saved your immortal soul. <clears throat> Listen. If he saved me from an eternity in hell, amen, and he saved me to heaven, to himself, I ought to promote that. There ought to be a desire in me to promote that. I don't care if you've been saved five minutes, you've been saved five years, you've been saved 50 years. There ought to be a desire in you to tell somebody about what Jesus has done for you. Amen. Paul went from being on his face repenting out there on the side of the road in Damascus, to on his knees, praying for three days, to now he's on his feet preaching. God is doing something. God is working in his life. God has kick-started and lit a fire in him, and he, like Peter, James, and John, he cannot but speak the things which he has seen and heard. Amen? Listen, I, I, I've been talking about that bedroom at 307 Pierce Drive in Stamps, Arkansas, for over 40 years. 
I've been talking about those scooby-doo bed sheets I knelt on and prayed and asked Jesus to save me for over 40 years. I've been talking about standing at the bathroom mirror, brushing my teeth under conviction and hearing hell's flames cracking in the back of my mind. I've been talking about my mama and her, her conversation with me as I led up the sound. I've been talking about for 40 years. I wonder why I won't shut up about it. Because it's real. And it happened. And it changed me forever. And I've never been the same since. There's an immediate desire to testify when one gets saved. Verse 21 and 22. But all that heard him were amazed. Said, is not this he that destroyed them that was called on his, his, this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent? that he might bring them down under the chief priest. They couldn't believe it. They said, no, those people in the synagogue, they said, this is an absolute miracle that's taking place. This is unbelievable. And they, 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 they were just totally taken aback and didn't really know how to deal with it. And they said, and the Bible says that, that if Paul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dealt at, dwelt at Damascus proving that this is very Christ. So he he had, he had a very good working knowledge of the Old Testament. He was a scholar. He had studied at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the greatest teachers in Israel, and Paul was very, very sharp in the Old Testament law. So he, with his limited knowledge of how those things pointed to Christ, just, just what he had understood based on what the Holy Spirit of God had revealed to him at that moment, he took the Word of God and he showed them through the scriptures, the prophecies of Christ, and showed them that this is him. They proved to them that this is him. And, and, and it blew them away. I mean, I, it, it just it didn't make sense that, that this man who was trying to kill people just days before is now suddenly flipped. I mean, he's, he's done a 180. And then I noticed this here in the passage. <clears throat> The Bible tells us, in verse 22, it says, but he increased the more in strength. He increased the more in strength. But that doesn't mean that they were feeding him good down there. No, the Bible does say he ate some meat and he, and he, got, he, he got strength. But it's not talking about what he kept eating good and he just got stronger and stronger and stronger. It doesn't mean that you know, while he was waiting around there, he found some barbells out back and started lifting weight and got stronger. No, the the, the increased more in strength, the increased, it, it, it's passive. It doesn't mean that he went and sought something out to increase his strength, that he went and got him something to eat to get stronger, or that he exercised to get stronger. It means that God gave him strength. You understand? When a person gets saved, and a person gets excited about serving God, they don't have they don't they don't have God's strength at that moment. They don't know what God's strength is. They don't understand there's a lot you don't understand when you first get saved. But I'm gonna tell you something, you don't have to understand God's strength to have it. All you have to do is have a desire for it. All you have to do is pray for it. What do you think he was praying for on his knees for them three days? He was praying, God, use me somehow. I have been so wrong for so long. God, take me and do something with me now. Use me. I don't know what's there, but I can only imagine that had to have been his prayer. And God increased him in strength. 
Amen. So he says in verse 23, and after that, many days were fulfilled. That many days were fulfilled is speaking about the years that he spent in Arabia. Remember we talked about that last week, that Paul, after this took place, he went down into Arabia and spent three years there in the region where Mount Sinai is, where Moses got the Ten Commandments. I don't know if he pitched the tent at the bottom of Mount Sinai, if he went up on top of Mount Sinai, or where he was exactly, but he spent time down there in the backside of the desert with God to receive commandments from Christ. And the Bible says that the Christ gave those things to him there, and he saw the Lord. He said, he said, I was as one born out of time. I wasn't there with the rest of the apostles when, I, when God was, when Christ was giving them all that teaching. No, I, this is, this is, I wasn't there, so that he, he did all this to me separately, is what he's trying to say. Christ taught him there. He said, how did all that take place? I don't know. The Bible didn't tell us, and I wasn't there, and you wasn't there, but we don't know. But we do know that Paul said, spoke to him. Christ gave him the doctrine. So the Bible said, after, after three, after many days, means three years, he was gone a long time. Notice what verse 23 says, after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel and killed him. Why in the world would that happen? Well, not long after he got back from Damascus, they run him out of town. Men wanted to kill him. Now, why in the world would men want to kill him when he came back to town? Because instead of trying to get rid of trying to rid the world of Christianity, he's proven to the Jews that Jesus truly is the Christ. He spent time down on the desert with Jesus. He come back understanding it all. He's gotten the big picture now, and when he came back now, he, he's given them some hard, serious truth, and they got angry. I'm going to tell you something. When somebody don't want to hear it, you can't make them hear it. I, I've, I've stood at doorways. I've pleaded with people to get saved. And no matter what I said, no matter no matter whether I shed tears or what I did, they weren't going to hear me. You can't make somebody hear the truth. God has to do that. So when he preached, he didn't give them anything but the honest truth. But when they, when they heard this, they got angry and they said, we're going to kill this guy. we got to get rid of him. The Bible says in verse 24, but they're lying awake was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night kill him. So there was a group of them. They, said, they got together, and they said, we're going we're gonna to put a hit on this guy. Y'all be in hiding around the, the city gates. See, the city had walls. The city of Damascus had walls, so there's a gate going in and a gate going out. Well, they had people hiding out going, come get him. I mean, they're going to they're gonna kill him. I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. I try to put that in, in terms that I understand. I try to imagine how difficult it would be if every time I loaded up in the car over at Deport and drove over here to Clarksville, there was people hiding all along 37 Highway taking shots at me. I mean, if I got out the gas station, there was people around, and, hey, there's that preacher. Let's kill him. It may get there. I don't know. I hope not, but it may. But I'd hate to think that life was like that. Can you imagine how difficult it would be when you had people all around you that said, hey, there's that guy. Let's get him. Let's kill him. I mean, he's a, he's a 
brand new baby Christian. Y'all think about this for a minute. The Apostle Paul hadn't been saved very long. He's a young believer. Look at all these things that's happening to him. I mean, it'd be easy for a person to say, you know what? If that's the way it's going to be, I don't know if I'm going to preach or not. It'd have been easy for him to say that. It'd have been easier for him to say, but it wouldn't have been easy to do because there's been a change take place in him. It was real what happened. I think that there's a lot of people who make professions of faith. They just walk away. There's a reason why they walk away. It's because they didn't get the change on the inside. When Christ comes in, there's a change that takes place. It may take a while for it to show up. Amen. Listen, it takes a while for a child to grow up. But once once it once it takes hold, listen to me, it, there's a difference and it shows. You'll irritate the devil in his crowd if you, if it's for real in you. Some people are just gonna hate you because of what you believe. Some people are just gonna hate you because of what you preach. But listen to me, we can't let that cause us to get better. The Bible tells us to bless them that curse you. To pray for them that despitefully use you. Paul is in a very difficult position because he went from being the hunted, now he's the hunter. I mean, I'm sorry, he went from being the hunter to the hunted. So he's in a bad situation. He's in Damascus in that city. There are people in the city who want to kill him. What are you going to do, Paul? Well, according to, according to a, lot of, a lot of believers today, he should, just, he should turn himself over to the authorities and just trust whatever happens. Do the right thing, Paul. I'm sure there's people around that say, Paul, you've got to do the right thing, man. You've got to turn yourself in. Just, just give up. It'll be okay. You'll get a fair trial. See, this verse right here is going to, this next verse has some civil disobedience in it. The Bible says, Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. See, rather than today, if you see something, say something. See, they, weren't, they weren't living by that ideology back then. No. Oh, you're, what you're doing is valuable. We've got to get you out of here. So they took him by night, the Bible says, and they, and they, let him down by the wall in a basket. So someone had a, their residence was right on the exterior of the wall, and they must have had a window looking down to the outside. So they let him down the wall in a basket. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I don't have any baskets that big. I doubt any of y'all have any baskets that big. What in the world kind of basket would that have been that they would have let him down in? There's really only one answer to it. It would have been their trash basket. It would have been what they left their garbage down outside the wall in to be thrown away in their in their landfills or whatever they however they got rid of their garbage. So you got the irony is not lost on me in this. He came into town, human, angry, arrogant, prideful, full of hate. Now he's wet down the wall to be afraid, afraid of being killed in a garbage basket. God has a way of humbling us. God has a way of bringing us down a notch or two. He left off to how he came in. He listen. He had to learn to lean on Jesus. I want to show you that there there is a process that goes 
that a person goes through after they get saved where they have to learn to lean on Jesus. Now, listen, the Lord's good to you, and the Lord will always be good to you, but God is going to allow you to go through some leanness. God is going to allow you to go through some trials. God is going to allow you to go through some tribulation. And all of those things that come about in our life after we get saved are not unusual, and they're not, they're not abnormal. Even though they seem like it, you would say, uh, a person might say, well, why would God let me go? I didn't have this kind of trouble before I got saved. Why am I having all this trouble now? Well, so before you got saved, you run arm in arm with the devil. Y'all was buddies and chums and doing all kinds of things together. But see, you left him, and you went to Christ, and you got saved. Now the devil's hot at you. And now you're going the opposite direction, so you're running into him, headbutting him all the way. And he's angry with you. So he's going to do everything he can to try to discourage you from, from going on to God. He's going to try his best to discourage you from being a witness for Christ. And that's what he's trying to do to the Apostle Paul. I mean, listen, he's throwing enemies at him right and left. So what happened? Well, Paul went to Jerusalem. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed that he was not a disciple. So that word, that word a saved there, that's not a common word we use. That, that mean, literally means that he kept trying. So when he got to Jerusalem, he went and he found the disciples, and he said, hey guys, I'm, I'm, I'm Paul, and we know who you are. What are you doing here? Well, I, I got saved. No, you didn't. Get out of here. Get away from us. You're a killer. You're a criminal. Get away. They ran him off. And he came back again, and they tried to join him again. Please, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. They, they thought he was lying to them. They thought he was trying to infiltrate and, and bust him up and take him to jail. They didn't believe him. How do you relate that to a person today? Well, I can tell you. When I, when I began serving God, all my old friends, they all said, uh, won't be, he won't be here long. He'll be back. He'll be back. And I tried to go to them one by one. I tried to witness to them. You know what they said? Uh, <laughs> oh, man, we ain't into that. We're having too much fun. Uh, we don't want none of that. That's a good story and all, but no thanks. And I had people talk ugly about me. They run me down. I still do. That's okay, though. Listen, the Bible says, we'll, we'll be unto you when all men shall speak well of you. If you make everybody happy, you're not making the Lord happy. And Paul, because of his love for Jesus and because of his preaching, he had alienated all of those believers, or all, I say believers, all those Jews which were in Damascus, and they wanted him gone, so he couldn't stay in Damascus. So now he's come to Jerusalem, and he's trying to he's trying to find some solace and comfort and fellowship with the disciples in Jerusalem. And now they're like, "Get away from us! We don't want you here." He couldn't go to the Jews in Jerusalem. He's a man without a country. Paul is a man without a country. He's been disowned by Jew, Christian, and and his family too because he's turned to Christ. All he has at this moment is Jesus. But he's enough. He's enough. You see, God God had to strip away Frankston Paul. He had to God had to put him in a position 
to where all he had was Jesus, where he could realize that Jesus would be all he needed. We may look at that and say, that's, that's hard. Why, God, why would you let him go through that? Why? You know, it's kind of interesting. You know, the name's Saul. We, we say his name was changed from Saul to Paul, but it really wasn't. It's, it's actually Saul was the Hebrew name and Paul was his Roman name. You see, Saul of Tarsus was born. He was born in Tarsus, which is in, really it's in modern-day Turkey. He would be what we call a Hellenistic Jew because he wasn't born in Israel. He wasn't born in Israel. He's not. He's not a Jew from from Israel. Lost my thought. Let me get back to it. So you know, he's he's just he's just facing a ton of difficulties. Trying. I mean, again, he he has nowhere to go. He has nowhere to go. He had all the advantages, all the advantages that a man could want to have. And God plans to use this man mightily. In order, I mean, you know that he had, because the majority of the New Testament is filled with letters and books that Paul wrote. God used him tremendously. He is the apostle of the Gentiles. But God has got to bring him from what he was to what he wants him to be. God has to bring you from what you were to what he wants you to be. Like I said, up into his salvation, he had everything good. He had the best of everything. He, he, his life had been filled with wealth and privilege. He was an arrogant man. He was high-minded and very proud. And God is now, God's now in charge of his life, and, and Paul's not in charge anymore. He's turned that over to Jesus. And Paul is now going to learn to be meek and lowly. He's no longer going to be arrogant and proud. And again, God had to strip away all of the anchors, all of the all of the things he found for comfort. He had to strip all those things away so that Paul had nothing to go back to. All he had was Christ. I'm going to read you from Philippians chapter three. Consider how the wife Paul giving testimony to the way things were versus how things are now. He says there, beginning in verse 4, chapter 3 of Philippians, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man, other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day. So he was, he was circumcised just like God said a, a male Hebrew child ought to be. He said he was, uh, he says, of the stock of Israel, his father was a Hebrew a Jew from Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Oh, he had an excellent, excellent lineage, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, as touching the law, he was a Pharisee. So he was, concerning zeal, church, touching righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. He said, I had all the zeal in the world for the word of God. I had I had all the zeal in the world to persecute the church, and I had all the zeal in the world toward the righteousness of the law. He was doing what he thought was right. Paul didn't think he was living a wicked life. He thought he was honoring God till God showed up on that that day on the road to Damascus and showed him that he wasn't. 
and he has to go, again, all that thinking, all of his thinking, all of his life has to be undone. Notice verse 7, listen to what it says. Again, he told you how it used to be. He had everything. I mean, again, he was sent to Jerusalem to study, to be a student of Gamaliel, which is one of the greatest teachers in the law at that time. So his life had already been planned out. He was going. He had. He was. He was headed for the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin. How do you say that? He was headed for that high court. He was headed to be like on Israel's Supreme Court. He. He was. He, he was a bootleg. He had everything right in his life to be wealthy and well-known, influential. But he says in verse seven, "But what things were gained to me? All of those things I thought that my life was to be about." Suppose I counted loss for Christ. Got to get rid of that. I 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 can't serve Christ and hang on to those things as treasures and trophies. I can't hang on to my plots and plans and dreams if I'm going to serve Christ the way he wants me to serve him. He said, yea, doubtless, without a doubt, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul didn't want to be halfway in, halfway out. Paul didn't want to be an average Christian. Paul said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, that, that, again, that... There are various degrees of knowledge of Jesus amongst believers. There are some people, they, they know about him. They know he died on the cross. They know he was resurrected. They know he went to heaven. And they know he died for sinners. But that's all they know. You see, they don't understand a lot of the doctrine. They say, oh, yeah, I love the Bible. I read it a lot, but I love it. But you know, then there are some who say, you know what? I want to know everything there is to know about it. And they spend their life dedicated to study in their Bible. And they, they don't just read it. They dig into it. They search the Scriptures. And Paul's saying, you know what? Anything that would hinder me from knowing him in his fullness, I said, that's got to go. That's got to go. I can't have something in my life that will hinder me from the knowledge of my Savior. He said, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I look back at what I gave up, and I look at what I've done. And for him, I suffered everything. Again, he's referring what? To what? When he had no other time, he had nobody to turn to. And notice what else he said. Not only did I suffer the loss of all things, but listen to this. He said, but I do count them as dung. I know you all know what dung is. That's poop. Yeah. And that ain't nothing you want to... Mess with. That's something you want to get rid of. Also, that looks like a big old pile. I mean, it looks like he went out to the barnyard and they shoveled out all the horse stalls and, and, and shoveled out the cattle pen. They got it all in one big steaming pile and there's flies all over the stink. He said, that's the way I look at my old life right there. It's just a big old pile of poop. It ain't nothing that I want to go back and play in. There ain't nothing I've lost in that pile that I need to dig through to find. Amen. I wouldn't touch it for nothing because why? Because it's garbage now. Because when I put my life in Christ down next to what I thought was important, they don't measure up. 
He said, I count it but dung that I may win Christ. What does that mean? He doesn't mean that he might get saved. He means that I may have a hold on him like he's got a hold on me. That I might know him like he knows me. He said, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. The best I can do is try to please him, but I'll fail. He said, but that which is through faith in Christ, I want his righteousness. The righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Amen. Let me tell you something. You don't fear death when you know him. You know that you ain't going to lay in that grave. You know that he, the moment you die, you're going to be with him in heaven. And that body ain't going to stay in that grave forever. Someday he's going to bring it out, and it's going to be changed, and it's going to be brand new. And it's going to be an eternal body that will live forever, just like his. He said, I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul just asked to suffer. Paul said, I want to know his sufferings. I want to suffer for him because he suffered for me. You see, a Christian is not afraid of suffering. But I'm going to tell you why a Christian ain't afraid of suffering. Because in that suffering, God will give you his grace. In that pain, God will give you his, his the, 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 the balm of Gilead. He'll give you his ointment, his faith, his healing to you, his presence. Paul knew that. He'd already enjoyed that presence for three years down on the desert. He said, I want more of that. I can't do without that. A.W. Tozer, great preacher of the past, he said, now listen to this statement. He said, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. I read that the first time and I said, what? But then I thought on it years later when I had gone through some serious pain in my life. And it was during those times of pain. It was during those times of heartbreak and, and felt like my soul was shattered a million pieces that God put me back together, that God healed my hurts. It was in the midst of that that God taught me how to, to, to love others through their pain and their hurts because he loved me through mine. God gave me something in the midst of all that. God taught me how to love in the midst of all that. Listen, when we're going through difficulties and all of us in here at one time or other go through difficulties, but remember something, hear what I'm saying. When you go through difficulties, remember, God's up to something in your life. Those things don't come for no reason. Life is not for chance. Everything's a divine appointment with God. Nothing happens by accident. 4.11, Paul said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, whether I've got a lot or whether I've got nothing. I've learned to be okay and say it's going to be all right because God's in charge and he's got me and I'm going to be all right. He continues that thought in Romans 8.28. Y'all know what it says? And we know, not we hope or think, but we know that all things, all things work together for good to them that love God. You say, well, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't understand what I'm dealing with. I don't have to, to know that it's working together for your good. Again, trouble comes, but God's working. He's working something for your good, and you don't see it yet. You see, when a soul gets saved, that's a miracle in the moment of time. 
making of a saint is a task of a lifetime. It don't happen like that. God is constantly showing us things that need to be removed and things that need to be added to our life to build us up to be what he wants us to be. It looked bad for Paul. I'm almost done. It looked bad for Paul. Nobody wanted him. Here he was, stranded. It's been three years and still nobody trusts him. With two words there in the next verse. But Barnabas. But Barnabas. We got to know Barnabas. I don't know if you remember. He was back in, in chapter 4, right before we ran into uh, Ananias and Sapphira. In the last verse of chapter 4, uh, the last two verses, it says, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, so they started calling him Barnabas. And you wonder why did they call him Barnabas? It says, well, being a, that is being interpreted the son of consolation. So it means he was the son of it. They called him the son of encouragement. He was such an encouraging guy that they started calling him by that name. He was a Levite and of the country of Cyprus. He was a rich man from the Isle of Cyprus. Having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he was a very, very good Christian man. He saw the need there in Jerusalem. And so, he again, he sold his land. And he brought it up there, and he gave it to them and said, hey, I want to help you all out. And they said, man, what an encouragement you are. We're going to call you Barnabas, the son of consolation. And Barnabas, the son of consolation, amen, God's always good. God ain't going to leave you. God ain't going to leave you forever hanging. What did he do? He sent Paul a helper. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. So he started going. To, he started attending church with them. He started, I mean, he, he bringing casserole dishes to fellowship meetings and everything. I mean, he's having a big time. They're going to church together there in Jerusalem, having fellowship with them regularly. And the Bible said in verse 29, and he spake boldly, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians. Now, those are the people that killed Stephen. You remember? He was out there with them. He was holding their coats for them while they were stoning Stephen to death. So he goes down there, and he starts he starts preaching against what they believe in preaching Christ. He's down there telling them that they need to get saved. And what do they do? They say, we're going to kill you. If every preacher in America preached the way they ought to, they'd all be lined up for slaughter. That's the truth. If I preach the way I really, truly, like I want to preach, I, I, it almost makes me sound like I'm not doing it right. But, but truly, if, if I hold off and I did it like I feel it, some of y'all leave. I probably wouldn't have a pastor. If every preacher did, they'd probably, they'd probably run us all out of pulpits. Listen, if Jesus, I saw this this week, somebody put this down, said, if Jesus preached the way preachers do today, they would have never crucified him. Think about that. Preachers don't preach to make you feel good. I'm not preaching to tickle your ears. I preach because I want the Holy Ghost to convict you. I preach because I want you to, I want you to be drawn to be more like Christ. I preach because I want souls to be saved. Paul was preaching for those same reasons, but you see, these people were these people were they were stuck in what they believed. 
and they believed that they were right. And again, when a man's got his mind made up, you can't confuse him with the truth of the fact. So he begins, he begins witnessing publicly. He gets into a dispute with some of those Hellenistic Jews, and they said, we're going to kill you. And they tried to kill him. The same group that stoned Stephen, the synagogue of the Libertines. Acts 22, 17 through 21, the Bible says that it came to pass, Paul telling this later on, He's giving the account of what happened there. He said, It came to pass that when I was coming into Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And I saw him, talking about Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. Jesus told him, You better go, Paul. These guys ain't going to hear what you got said. And Paul won't argue with Jesus. Look here. And I said, Lord, they know that I am risen and beat in the synagogue, didn't they believe on me? They remember what I was. And when the blood of Martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slept. They remember me from that day, Lord. And he said unto me, Depart. For I will send thee far hence to the Gentiles. Don't pay to argue with God. Jesus said, get out of there. Get out of there. It's time to go. So the disciples, they took him. They took him down to Caesarea. Verse 30 says, when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. They went down there and they put him on a boat and sent him back home where he came from. You see, we, we tend to, again, I said when I started, we, we commonly think Paul got saved and then he got into the ministry, but in reality, he got saved. He spent three years in Arabia, then was in Damascus briefly, then went up to Jerusalem briefly, and then was sent to Tarsus for seven to ten years. So anywhere from ten to thirteen years took place from the time that Paul got saved until he began his ministry in Antioch with Barnabas. That seems like a long time to wait, 10 to 13 years. Seems like a long time wasted. I wonder sometimes if Paul thinks, God, what are you doing? Why are you making me wait? I remember when I was in Bible college. I kept thinking, Jesus is going to come back, and I ain't going to get to preach to nobody. I ain't never going to have a church, because the Lord's going to come back before I can do anything. I was so impatient and so ready to get out there. You know what? It's always in God's timing. It's not in our timing. It's not when we think we're ready. It's when God has us prepared and God has us ready. Often what we see is a waste. God sees his preparation. He's building us. He's making us into what he wants us to be. And we get anxious because we think, well, I should be doing more now. I should be where I should be further than I am now. And this is not an excuse to be lazy. Don't take me wrong. I'm not telling you we ought to sit down and do nothing. But I'm telling you, a lot of times doors don't open as fast as you want them to. And that's because God's still working on you. He did tremendous things with Paul. Fourteen books in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. But it was in God's will. It was in God's time. It was in God's strength. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I'm God. 
I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted among the earth. He says, be still. Let me prepare you. Let me make you ready. And verse 31 says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Why was there peace? Because, well, Paul was no longer trying to kill anybody. Everything's quiet. And it seems as though God's not doing anything. But God's got a man down in Tarsus. He's fixing to unleash on the world that's going to change it. But it'll happen in God's time. It won't happen in Paul's. And I just want to say to you this morning that you may find yourself in a, in a spot in your life where you feel like God's not doing anything with me. But I want you to understand that God's always doing something with you, whether you can see it or not. God's always preparing you for the next thing in your life. He's always got another phase ahead until you come to the end. God is working on you. And what he said, Preacher, what I take away from this message this morning, the thing I would give you to take away from this message is it's time to get alone with God and seek his will. How much time do you have left? I don't know and you don't know. How much time do we have left? None of us know. And that, that creates a sense of urgency. Well, we've got to do something now. But if we just do something, we may do the wrong thing. We need to seek the Lord. I want to close with this thought. I want to see revival in this church. I want to see revival in Red River County. I want to see God do something in the city. But if I get out here and try to make it happen without seeking God, it won't happen. But I can tell you this, if, if myself and this church will spend some time in preparation, let God prepare us, if we'll spend some time in prayer and Bible study and seeking God's will, you will begin to see this church do something in this city. You'll begin to see us having opportunities open up to us and God use us and do things, and this church will begin to grow and flourish if we will be patient and wait on the Lord and seek his will. And that's my urgency today. Not that we jump and do something before God's ready, but that we urgently get in a place of preparation and seek his will. Let's stand together.